received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met them. Verse 11. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced, through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn, change his mind, you are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Jesus, you're that son And we pray in your name, O Lord Jesus, to you, O Father, that you would open up my lips and cause me to speak in a way that is clear, that is faithful to your word, and that you would open the ears of those listening in such a way as they would hear your word. Lord, Father, we need a high priest. We need someone to represent us to you because you're perfect and we're imperfect. And we can't do it on the basis of our own works. We've tried that. It doesn't work. And we can't run from you because you're all-encompassing. Your eyes are all-seeing. We are having to deal with you. So we have a dilemma, Father. How do we relate to you? And we thank you, those of us that know you, that you gave your son 
through whom we can draw near, who guarantees it by a covenant that he sealed in his body and blood. And so we draw near. Lord, draw every ear to you. Draw every heart to you. Lord, even from the sound to the, to the auditorium to the, our own hearts, would you cause everything to work so that we could hear and pay attention and receive the good news of a great high priest, Jesus Christ. Amen. This passage is about the superiority of Jesus Christ as a great high priest over Aaron as a great high priest. And I have the privilege of explaining that to you because most of you, probably all of you, maybe just a few, would not know about the Jewish religion and would not be Jewish. But before I get to that, I want to broaden that topic. Though, Though actually, chapter 7 is entirely about Jesus is greater than Aaron, the high priest. I believe there's a category that's being introduced here that we must capture. And here's the category. How do we relate to God? How do we relate to God? You see, the Hebrew Christians to whom this book was written, the original audience, first century Hebrew Christians, as you could tell by their name, they were Hebrews. And before becoming Christians, they would have related to God according to the law. We're going to read about this further as we get into the text. So they would have related to God According to the law, this was the law that was given by God through Moses. And when God gave the law to his people, he constituted them a people. He said, you're going to be my people, and I'm giving you my law. If you've seen the movie, The Ten Commandments, okay? Charlton Heston, if you're too young for that, go rent it. But he constitutes his people, brings them out of Egypt, and he brings them to a place called Mount Sinai, And he gives them the law, and that's how he says, you're going to relate to me. One problem. He's perfect, we're not. So we cannot relate to him through the law because we can't keep it perfectly, and he's perfect. So the very law he gave them through which they would relate to him appoints a high priest. Someone to represent them to God because they break his law. They're lawbreakers. So he, they, he gives them a high priest. The first one he gave was named Aaron, Moses' brother. Hence, the theme of this chapter, Jesus Christ is a greater high priest than Aaron. Aaron represents all the Jewish high priests and the way to relate to God through them. So he, this law appoints a high priest. A high priest who will represent God's people to God Because they're covenant breakers. If you think of a lawsuit, okay, here's the the plaintiff. Here's the the, the person who commits the lawsuit, who breaks the law, who breaks the covenant. Someone's got to represent him. That's the high priest. So as Jews, they would have known, we relate to God according to the law, but we break the law. So God gives us this high priest who mediates the law. And through this high priest, we we can then approach God. Now, as a Jew, you couldn't do it personally. The high priest did it once a year. And he gave the blood of the sacrifices on the altar so that they could relate to God. Now, so that's the Hebrew Christians. Here's the good news. They're Hebrew Christians. 
So what they, what they began to believe is no longer do we relate to God through Jesus, through Aaron, the high priest, through the, the law, the, the, the Hebrew law and the laws of Moses, but now we have a new high priest, Jesus. And we're going to relate to God through Jesus. They believe the gospel, Hebrew Christians. And they place their trust in Jesus as the one through whom they would relate to God. But they began experiencing difficulties. They began experiencing problems. They began experiencing uh, persecution. They began experiencing difficulty to obey God all over again. And they were beginning to feel guilty. And they were beginning to feel oppressed. And they were beginning to say, you know what? Maybe, maybe approaching God, relating to God through Jesus doesn't work. So let's go back to Aaron, the great high priest. Let's go back to what we used to know. And that's where this text delivers us to the theme. Don't go back. Jesus is a greater high priest than Aaron. But what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us? Well, let me just say this. I believe that what it's speaking to is how do you relate to God? How do you relate to God? Do you relate to him through your good works? Do you relate to him through some, I don't know, religion that you've come up with or someone else has come up with? How do you relate to God? It's unavoidable. You have to relate to God. You cannot avoid God. So how do you do it? How do you relate to him? That's what this passage is speaking to, both to you and to me and to the first century Hebrew Christians. So as we look at verse 1, this is why we're immediately introduced to a priest. His name is Melchizedek. Melchizedek. And Melchizedek, this priest, is a king. He's the king of Salem. And he's a priest of the Most High God, verse 1. And he meets Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings, and he blesses him. And then Abraham gives this priest a tenth. Now, why is this in here? Here's why. Abraham is the father of all of Israel. Abraham's the father. Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob, Jacob had 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay? One of those tribes was the tribe of Levi, which is the tribe from which the priests come. Aaron's going to come from this tribe. Moses is going to come from this tribe. Aaron, uh, so this is the priestly tribe. So <clears throat> you've got to understand, what the author is trying to say to the Hebrew Christians is this. Don't go back to Aaron as the high priest Remain with Jesus as your high priest, and I'm going to show you that Aaron is inferior to Jesus as a high priest. And I'm going to show it from your own history. So therefore, he goes to an event that occurred in 2000 BC. 2000 BC is is when this event occurred, where Abraham defeats some kings, and then he, he offers this tenth of all that he won to Melchizedek, and Melchizedek blesses Abraham. So at 2000 BC, this occurs. The law was given in 1500 BC. The priesthood of Aaron is constituted in 1500 BC. So immediately, what do we see? There's there's a greater priest that God always had in his heart for this priest to be the one through whom we would approach God. And this priest is after the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek. That's why Melchizedek is so important here. 
He, he, he is the, the way we get to God. So what the author is doing is, okay, Abraham is your father. Abraham's the father of Levi, the first in the priestly class. Levi's the father of Aaron. Aaron's the great high priest. Well, let me show you that Abraham was blessed by a priest that is greater. Because it's the greater who blesses the lesser. And Abraham gave a tithe to this priest, Melchizedek. And because Levi was his descendant, Levi gave a tithe to this priest. So, so that's the main point here. Melchizedek is greater than Aaron. And who is this Melchizedek? Well, look at verse 2. His name is King of Righteousness. He's the King of Salem. He's the King of Peace. The word Salem there is Shalom. And most probably, it was Jeru Shalom that he was the king of. This is the king of Jerusalem. He's the king of righteousness. He is the king of peace. And it goes on. This guy is very mysterious. Verse 3, he's without father. He's without mother. He has no genealogy. No Old Testament figure of any significance shows up without genealogy. Genealogy is very important in the Old Testament. What's this guy doing showing up with no genealogy? Who are your parents, son? I don't have any. Not only that, it goes on. He has neither beginning of days at the end of verse 3, nor end of life. Now here's the key. But resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. So, who does he resemble? He resembles Jesus Christ. Some say he is a pre-incarnation coming of Christ. The important point is he resembles the Son of God. He is pointing to the Son of God. 2000 BC, God produces a priest to whom Aaron, the high priest, because he's a descendant of Abraham, is going to offer tithes and he's going to receive a blessing from this priest. Why? Because God is introducing a different priesthood. God is introducing a different way to to come to him. And it's important for the Hebrew Christians to understand that because they're tempted to go back to the old. And it's important for us to understand that because what's today's sermon about ultimately for you and me? The supremacy of Christ. Now, you may not understand all of this Hebrew imagery. I hope you do. I hope you study it. But I want you to understand the supremacy of Christ. He is the only one through whom we can approach God the Father. He is supreme over all. He is a historic figure. He is the one who is living forever. No beginning, no end. But continuing on here in our text, this this Melchizedek blesses Abraham. We see this again uh, in verse 6. He blessed Abraham. Abraham gives him a tithes. It even says in verse 9 that Levi, look at this, one might even say that Levi, remember Levi, the head of the priestly tribe, Aaron is in that priestly tribe. Okay, it, We can even say that Levi himself, who received tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. All right, so let's continue now through this argument that Melchizedek is superior to Levi, to Abraham, and thus to Aaron, the great high priest. Now we're going to move, we're going to move a thousand years later. Look at verse 11. We're going to move a 1,000 years later in verses 11 through 21. In these verses twice, actually three times, there's a reference to Psalm 110.4. Psalm 110.4. It's the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. Psalm 110.4. And this is the psalm that King David wrote in 1000 BC. So stay with me. 
2000 BC, Melchizedek shows up, mysterious figure, no mother, no father, no beginning, no end, priest forever. He's a king and a priest, which is unheard of in the Old Testament. He's the king of Jerusalem, king of righteousness, king of peace. And he's greater than Abraham, and he's greater than Levi, and he's greater than Aaron. Fast forward, 1000 BC. By the way, 1500 BC, the law is given. Abraham is instituted as the high priest. But remember, before he was given, you got Melchizedek. Now, 1,000 B.C., 500 years after the law is given, God, God, through the Holy Spirit, inspires David to write about this guy Melchizedek again. And that's what we see here in verses 11 to 21. We see this, this reference to Melchizedek. And actually, in verse 11, he references it. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek? The author of Hebrews is quoting Psalm 110, verse 4 there. And then skip down to verse 17. For it is witnessed of him, this is now speaking of Jesus, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And then skip down to verse uh, 21. But this one, speaking of Jesus, was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. 1000 BC, David says, we're under the law. We've been under the law for 500 years. We've been relating to God through Aaron, hoping that Aaron as the high priest can offer sacrifice for our sin. But I still have a vision of a greater priest. Introduced 2000 BC to Abraham. And now David says he's coming. In fact, if you read Psalm 10, and please do, if you read Psalm 10, you're going to see it's a future psalm. It's a great psalm. It talks about the, the nations coming underneath Jesus' feet. But the key to this psalm is there's a priest, and he's coming, and he's, and he's better than Aaron, and he's different than Aaron. Go back to our text here. Verse 11, why? Why is this new priest from a new tribe? Because we're going to see in these verses that Jesus is from the tribe of Judah, not Levi, not the priestly tribe. Why a new priest? Why a new order? Well, look at verse 11. Because the law cannot, the law cannot perfect us. Okay, the law cannot perfect us. It, it, cannot, it cannot accomplish what, what we need to relate to a holy God. Verse 19, for the law made nothing perfect, but on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. Verses 11 to 21 tell us there's, there's, there's a high priest named Melchizedek, and Jesus has come in the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek pointed to Jesus 2,000 years ago. David pointed to Jesus saying he's a priest after the order of Melchizedek, and now... Now, Hebrew Christians, he's come. Listen, Hebrew Christians, you've got the high priest after Aaron who's practicing his trade in that temple right there. The temple was still in existence. And you've got Jesus, the high priest, who we're going to find out in a moment, is practicing his in the heavenlies. Which one are you going to go to to relate to God? Which one? That's the key. Jesus is superior than Aaron because he's after the order of Melchizedek. Not only is he superior than Aaron, because he's after the order of Melchizedek, because he's God, he's superior because he has an indestructible life. Look at verses 15 and 16. 
This becomes even more evident when another priest arises, Jesus, in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent. He's not a priest because he's of the tribe of Levi, because he's not. He's of the tribe of Judah. But by the power of an indestructible life. And then the author of Hebrews quotes Psalm 110.4, just so you get the point. This is, God, this, is the, this is the guy like Melchizedek. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And then he tells us why. And I just alluded to that. Because the law failed. Perfect God. You must relate to me through the law. and You must keep it perfectly. Imperfect man. I can't do it. I'm going to break it. Enter the high priest to mediate between perfect God and the lawsuit he has against imperfect man who break his law and his covenant. This high priest mediates, but he's not enough. He can't do it. It's temporary. There's another high priest from a different tribe, the tribe of Judah, and his name is Jesus. And therefore, we see it delivers us to verse 19. He gives us a better hope through which we draw near to God. A better hope through which we draw near to God. Here's the point, guys. You must draw near to God because God owns you. You must worship God. That's what drawing near to God means. Drawing near to God means that you pray to God, that you worship God, that, that he's your father, that, that, that you live for him. But you can't because you cannot draw near to a perfect God with your imperfections, with your sin. And the law can't enable you to do it. You can't do it. So you've got a dilemma. Now, you may not be tempted like the Hebrew Christians to go back to Judaism. Maybe you are. I don't know. Let me just tell you, don't try it because it doesn't work. But whatever you're tempted to go back to, running from God, most of you go back to your own good works. That's where I go. It doesn't work. So there's a better hope. Jesus is superior to all other saviors. He's superior to everything. And in verse 19, this better hope, this better hope is the hope through which we draw near to God. And what's this better hope uh, based on? A better covenant. Look at verse 22. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. We have a better hope that's based on a better covenant that's sealed in the blood of Jesus Christ and his body so that we might draw near. Now, here's the question. Here's the question that drives us at this point. Can Jesus fully save us? Can he completely save us? That is to say, can he, can he cause us to draw near to God completely? Can he save us completely? And that delivers us to verses 23 to 28. Look at verse 23. The former priests, this is speaking of Aaron, were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. And the key verse here, guys, verse 25. Consequently, he, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for us. For them. Jesus saves us completely because he ever lives to make intercession for us. Did you know that the Jews, this word intercession, by the way, speaking of his prayers for the people, do you know that the Jews believed that Michael, the archangel, prayed for them? So catch this. You've got the high priest that would offer sacrifices so that they could come into God's presence. And then you have Michael, the archangel, that prays for them. 
Don't you see what the author of Hebrews is saying? Don't go back to the high priest. We have a better high priest. And don't go back to Michael, the archangel, to pray for you. Jesus is praying for you. The son of God who makes everything perfect. So this question is dancing before our eyes. Can Jesus save you completely? Now, I, I got to tease out I got to tease out this idea of salvation. I've got to, because see, the Hebrew Christians, they were, they were waffling on a certain point of this definition of salvation. This idea of save you in verse 25. He is able to save to the uttermost. And here's, the, here's, what, where, they were, here's where they were waffling, and perhaps we are. Salvation is threefold in Scripture. First, we were saved. We were saved. It's called justification. This means that, that, that at a point in time, holy God has a lawsuit against you because you have broken his law. You are unrighteous. And in the court of law, because of what Jesus did, he took your penalty and gave you his righteousness. You are, made just, you are justified. You are made right with God. You, we were saved. Past tense. And if you haven't been saved, oh, I pray that you would. I pray you'd respond to God. This is very important. Now, Salvation isn't less than that. It isn't less than that, but it's more than that. Because see, second, we are being saved. So if we were saved, point in time, now we're being saved. This is called sanctification. This is called becoming who we are. Miguel spoke of that last week. This is being who God has saved us to be, the righteousness of God in Christ. Our character begins to change to be more like Jesus. And here is when we begin to doubt, can he save me completely? See, this word utterly in verse 25, consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost. This word uttermost, it's a Greek word that has a long range of meaning. And part of that range of meaning is he's able to save us completely. If you have an NIV, I believe that's how it's translated. And it also means he's able to save us forever. If you have a New American Standard Bible, I believe that's the translation that it's saying. So what this verse is saying is Jesus is able to save me completely and utterly if I will draw near to God through him. Do you see that in verse 25? For those who draw near to God through him. He's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. So do we believe that he's able to save us and change us? And some of you, some of you are doubting it because there's that sin in your life that you just can't defeat. Perhaps there is that that relationship Perhaps you just say, I can't change. God can't really save me completely. I believe I'm justified. But, but is, is that salvation now, right now, in my life? And then there's a third aspect to salvation. We will be saved. And that's where the Bible talks about glorification. That means that I have a hope that one day, based upon justification, God making me right with himself, point in time, and sanctification, I'm walking with the Lord, and he's making me more and more like Jesus, that one day I'll be glorified. And I will, I will see Jesus face to face, and the Bible says I'll be just like him. My fight with sin will be over. And I will be like him. No more sin. This body, this body which is going to die and it gets sick, 
and it's temporal, will become immortal. I'll be given an immortal body, a glorified body. I'll no longer have any sin. I'll be like Jesus, and I'll live forever and eternity with God in a new heavens and a new earth. So that's my hope. So the Hebrews Christians are saying, you know what? I saw Jesus work. I believe that he saved me, but I don't know if he's saving me now. I don't feel saved now. I'm in sin. I'm not obeying God. It's tough. I'm getting persecuted. I want to go back to Judaism. I'm not sure about the future hope of glory. And that's where this text says, only Jesus can save us completely. Why? Because he intercedes for us. Now, if you don't remember anything else from this message, this is the point you need to remember. Jesus is praying for you right now in the heavenlies. Right now. And, and, and you, need to ask, you need to ask yourself, what's he praying Think about it. What's Jesus praying right now? First of all, how can he be seated in the heavenlies praying for us? Well, my friends, it is based on his death on the cross, on his death for you and me. It is based on his taking your sin and my sin. It is based on him giving us his righteousness. It is based on him raising from the dead and being exalted to the right hand of the Father. We see that in verse 26. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, verse 27, like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. This is the cross. This is the basis of Jesus' intercession for you. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. He's at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father praying for you right now, my friend. For you. For you. For you. He's praying for you. So what's he praying? What's he praying? Well, I believe that we can understand what he's praying if we go to one of his final prayers on earth. And I invite you right now to go to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. John 17, what is Jesus praying? Oh, friends, read these words with me silently. Underline them with your pen. Put your finger on them. Let God's finger put them on your heart. John 17, the high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, The hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is obviously talking about justification, what we call conversion. He saved us. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world, speaking about us. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Oh, I just, I'm recalling Miguel's words last Sunday. We are a love gift of the Father to the Son, and that gift is permanent. And it's going to glorify him. And that's who you are. And he's praying for you right here. Now listen carefully further what he prays. Now, 
they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them, speaking to us, the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know the truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. You want to know what Jesus is praying for right now? He's praying that you'll believe that the Father sent him. Because sometimes we just don't believe that, do we? We doubt that, don't we? We're like the Hebrew Christians. We kind of want to go back to whatever was comfortable. Oh, listen further. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world. He doesn't pray for the world, friends. He prays for you and me. He's praying right now. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name. God is praying. Jesus is praying that the Father would keep you. Do some of you feel like you're slipping away? Jesus is praying for you. which you have given me, that they may be one. Now he's praying for our unity, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, Father, and hear Jesus praying this now, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. Jesus is praying for your joy. When you are in situations that would challenge you to have any joy at all. He's praying for your joy right now. Do you believe it? Oh, I need that, Lord. All right, verse 14. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. Yes, it has. And they hated the Hebrew Christians, and they hate us, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I don't ask you to take them out of the world but that you keep them from the evil one. Oh, Jesus is praying that you would be kept from the evil one. What's the evil one represent for you? Death, fear. He's praying for you that you would be kept from the evil one. You, Jesus, in the heavens, your great high priest. Can you just hear him saying to the Hebrews, why are you going back to Michael, the archangel? Your tradition says Michael's praying for you. You've got the Son of God praying for you. And we deserve the wrath of God. I don't understand that. I thank God for it. But you know, sometimes I doubt it, don't you? So I've got to remind myself. Okay. Keep them from the evil one. Verse 16. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus is praying for you, friend, that you would be sanctified in the truth, that you would stop that sin that you're committing right now, and that you would obey him. He's praying for you. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Because he's praying for you. He's praying for you. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, and that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Oh, he's praying for our unity. I thank God for the unity at Palm Vista. I really do. 
That is a product of Jesus' intercessions. First, the intercession of his body and blood to die for our sins and our selfishness and our arrogance. And then his intercession right now, praying for Palm Vista to deliver us from strife and to make us one. Oh, I thank you, Lord. That's your work. Thank you, Lord. Verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me. Jesus is praying that we will be glorified one day. So if you have cancer, so if you have sickness, Jesus is praying that you're going to be with him in glory. It's not a pipe dream. It's not a Disney fantasy. It's free. It's glorious. It's amazing. You are going to be glorified, friend, and your body's no longer going to have pain, and you're going to be with Jesus forever because he's praying it, and his prayers are answered every time by the Father. Your pain will be over one day. You'll be in glory with a glorified body, living eternally in the new heavens and new earth, doing I don't know what, but it'll be wonderful. No sin. Oh, may that sustain you and me when we suffer and we do suffer on this earth, when we're disappointed and hurt and broken. Jesus is praying for me. Because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. Yes, we do. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Jesus is praying that you would know that God's love that he has for the Son is the love he has for us. Think about that. Criminals, condemned murderers, rapists, drug dealers, the worst of the worst, now have the Father's love in us, the same love he has for the Son. Man, I've been saved, and I'm being saved, even though it doesn't feel like it, and I feel so far from God, but that says Jesus is praying that I would feel it. That Jesus is praying that you would feel the love the Father has for the Son is the same love he has for you, no matter what you just did. Now, I'm not excusing what you did, because he's changing you. That's the gospel. It's the gospel. He's praying for that. He's praying for that. Oh, and there's one more. There's just, I've got to share this example with you. What can Jesus' prayers do? Oh, friend. Some of you are thinking right now, but you don't know what I've done, Al. Last night, today, you don't know what I'm thinking, Al. I want to abandon this whole thing. It does not work. It's, I, I, there's no joy in my life. God's a million miles away. Does he even exist? I, there are sins in my life that I cannot overcome. I've been in the Lord for 20, 30 years. I'm doing the same things I did at day one. They're worse. I've betrayed God. Good. He's got just a prayer for you. Look at Luke twenty two thirty two. We're going to end with this. Luke twenty two thirty two. Oh, friends, ultimately... This is Jesus' prayer. Luke twenty two thirty two. We find Peter. Peter who's, who's, who's saying, I'm going to follow you forever and ever, Jesus. And actually start with verse 31. This is at the Last Supper. And he says, I will never betray you, Jesus. Man, all these other guys are going to betray you, but I will never betray you. And Jesus turns to him. Luke twenty two thirty one, And he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you. This is scary stuff, isn't it? (laughs) I hope Satan's not demanding to have me. I doubt it. 
Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. My friends, his faith did fail, didn't it? Or supposedly. Before the day was done, the next day he's denying Jesus three times. But Jesus' intercession is greater than Peter's betrayal because Jesus' intercession is based on the fact that he interceded for Peter on the cross and came between the wrath of God for Peter and took the wrath that Peter deserved for betraying him and then gave Peter the righteousness that Jesus won for him. And then he prayed based on that intercession and that sacrifice of his body for Peter. And what did that result in? A traitor being converted into the main preacher on Pentecost morning. 50 days later, that's right, 50 days later, this guy that betrayed Jesus is the number one spokesman and preaches the first message on the day of Pentecost. Have you betrayed him? Great. He's praying for you. You know what he's praying? That you wouldn't fail. That your faith wouldn't fail. It's not going to fail. Because he's praying for you. If you do not remember anything, remember that. I love this song. Before the throne of God. We're not going to sing it right now. I'm just going to read you the words. Verse 1. Before the throne of God. I love this. This hymn. It's beautiful. Just listen or read the words on the screen there. Think about these truths. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love. That's Jesus. Whoever lives, whoever lives, whoever lives and pleads for me. His name is graven on his hands. His intercession is based on his sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection. His name is written on his heart. I know, I know. Do you know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart? Oh, in verse 2. Satan, the accuser of the brethren, sure loves to get me to despair. Verse 2, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, and there's tons, isn't there? Yeah. Upward, I look and see him there. Jesus, who made an end of all my sin because the sinless Savior died. My sinful soul is counted free for God the just. God the just. God the just is satisfied. To look on him and pardon me. And then verse 3 speaks of the future glory. Behold him there, the risen lamb. See him, friends. Go read Revelation this afternoon. Read all these passages and then read Revelation and just worship him. Get on your face and cry before him. Just, Just worship him. Just seek his face. See him that he's interceding for you. His very prayers will elicit from you worship. Behold him there, the risen lamb. My perfect, spotless righteousness. The great unchangeable I am, God himself, the king of glory and of grace, one with himself. I cannot die. You cannot die. Jesus will never die. He rose from the dead, indestructible life, and you're one with him. You cannot die. You cannot die. One with himself, I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high. My life is hid with Christ on high. This chapter is about Jesus Christ who gives us a better hope. Jesus Christ who gives us a better hope based on a better covenant forged in his blood and his body. And this better covenant 
it tells me that Jesus, because of his indestructible life, will save utterly, completely, forever. Every man, every woman, every child that draws near to God through him, not their own good works, not something else, but through Jesus, he will save you completely forever because he ever lives to intercede for you in the heavenlies. That's our hope. It's our hope. We need to think about this right now. So what I want you to do is just stay seated. We're just going to pray. You know, you need to focus on the Lord right now in this truth. Let it affect you. Let it affect you. Lord, Father, I humbly with trembling come before you. In no way are my prayers ever even close to those of your sons. But I can echo his prayer because it's praying his will and your will and your word tells me that when I pray to you in Jesus' name, according to your will, you will hear and you will answer. I pray for my friends this morning. Those who are tempted to go back if, if only just to pull back from God, that you would show them the intercession of Christ based on the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, but that this intercession is ongoing right now. Oh, Father, show us the Son praying for us right now that our faith would not fail, that we would be sanctified by the truth. That means change to be like him. That you would keep us from the evil one. We, 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 we are so weak and vulnerable. You are so strong and protecting. Lord, I, I just pray that we'd, we'd think about these truths right now. We'd think about, it, about them at lunch when we're honoring the mothers, our wives and the mothers of our children and other mothers. Lord, we would, we would, we would think about them. When we pray tonight, when we gather together as friends, Lord God, may this truth ring in our hearts. Now what I want you to do is just stay seated. I don't want you to stand. I want you to think about these things. We must ask God to help us apply them. For some of you, that means you need to probably keep your eyes shut and just think. Others of you, you're looking at the scripture right now, reading them. Some of you maybe through through tears in your eyes. Some may be helped by the words of this song. If so, great. You can sing along. If not, just quietly, just quietly let God speak to you. So just stay seated. Um, if we could turn the lights down, whoever's... Yeah, thank you. And let's just... Miguel's going to sing this. If you want to sing with him, please feel free to. If not, you can just listen. But think about Jesus interceding for you, your great high priest. You are the perfect and righteous God. Whose presence bears no sin. You bid me come to your holy place. How
This wonderful chapter ends with these words, speaking of the supremacy of Christ. Hebrews 7, 28, for the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. Yes, it does. And they're meant to lead us to someone greater. But the word of the oath, the word of God, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. The law cannot make you perfect, but Jesus, the perfect son of God, can and will one day. May the Lord bless you, and may the Lord keep you. May the Lord shine his face, his blessing upon you, and may the Lord, the true prince of peace, give you peace and the presence to draw near to him through his sacrifice, Jesus Christ, the great high priest. Amen. And amen.